So we are looking at these six lies of Satan. And there are so many really big, obvious, wicked lies that we could have preached against. And it would have been fun, wouldn't it, just to pick some obvious ones that we don't do and find some person out there that does them all and just feel good. But uh, Satan, I think he knows that it's the, it's the little lies, it's the sneaky half-truths, and it's the benign-sounding fibs that tend to add up and do the most harm. And our fourth lie in this series, lie number four, a great example of this, God doesn't care about that. Now, this lie, God doesn't care about that, it, it comes really in two forms. It comes as a temptation. God doesn't care about it, so why don't you just do whatever you like? And it comes as a condemnation. God doesn't care about that, so don't even bother asking him to help. You can do what you like, and don't ask God to help you. That's how the lie comes to us. And as always, what we need to do is we need to expose why this is a lie. Then we need to ask why we believe it, and then finally we'll look at what harm it does when we believe it. And we can only do that with Scripture. We do not have the power on our own to battle Satan. He is way better at this stuff than we are. We need to use the word, and we'll begin by looking at Psalm 139. Now, you can turn to it in your Bibles or using the bulletin as you prefer. I'm going to use the form in the bulletin, formatted slightly differently so that we could say it together in church. And as you see there, verse 1 of Psalm 139, kind of summary sentence of the whole thing. It says, O Lord, you have searched me out and known me. In other words, God cares about all sorts of things because God cares about you. God loves you. God knows you. Uh, when you love someone, even very trivial things suddenly become important to you simply because the person is important to you. Now, I can't really imagine that my wife, Kat, is all that concerned about most of the stuff that I say. Uh, the ideal moisture content of different species of wood, the optimal gap between electrodes on a chainsaw spark plug, and how the proper greasing of a worm drive can extend the life of a diffuser in a 15-bar espresso machine. I uh, don't actually need to imagine how Kat feels, because... She makes it abundantly clear. She finds all of these things very dull indeed. <laughs> but she listens to loads of this stuff, and that's just three examples. I mean, she listens to this stuff every day because she loves me. It's not interesting. Well, me, me and Bill find it really interesting. I have a feeling. I have a kindred spirit. But most people don't find this stuff interesting. Cat listens because she loves. And in the same way, you know, God cares about the smallest of things primarily because he cares about you. His, his love of these things is derived from his love of you. Thus it says, look at the boring stuff God finds interesting. Verse 1. You know my sitting down and my rising up. He cares where you sit. <laughs> so, so do some members of the congregation. I'm sorry we've been assigning seating to you. Uh, you understand my thoughts from afar. He cares what you think. Verse 2 says, you examine my path and my places of rest. Places of rest. He's even interested in you when you're doing nothing. How cool is that? He's all-knowing. That's the first few verses of the psalm. Then he's all-present. 
you are, verse 4. He says, behind and before me, where shall I go from your spirit? That's verse 6. The implication of this little piece of rhetoric being nowhere. You can't get away from him. Then four examples, not in death, not in sleep, not in the sea, not in the dark. Each state or place considered to be beyond all reasonable knowledge and control. And yet the psalmist says God is there. So if we think we are nothing, we are a nobody, and our problem doesn't matter, and everything in the world is yelling at us, you are a nobody, your problem is a non-issue, there's nothing that can be done about it, so shut up, give up, go away, sort it out on your own. It turns out still, Scripture says God does care about that because he cares about you. Now, when we hear a remark like that, we have a tendency to discount it or dismiss it in some way. And so uh, let's turn to Luke now, because I think if you can always find a point made twice in the Bible, and particularly if you go to a very different book of the Bible, written at a different time, different genre, and you find more or less the same thing, that's a confirmation to us that God really means it. And Luke chapter 12, verse 6, Jesus not only repeats the point, but I think amplifies the point, in fact. This is Jesus speaking, Luke 12, 6. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, and not one of them is forgotten before God? Why, even the hairs on your head are numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. So the psalm, what we see is that if you care about something, God cares about the thing because he cares about you. Here we see, even if you don't care about something, God still cares about it because he cares about everything. For example, even a sparrow. Let's talk about sparrows for a while, shall we? Five sparrows are sold in the market for two pennies. So this is the cheapest thing that you could buy. And uh, a doubtless giant eagle would have found some way to charge a fortune for them, probably branded it a gourmet sparrow or something and charged $15. But it's a very cheap thing, a sparrow. And I've been preparing for the annual meeting all week, so numbers are on my mind, and I couldn't help noting some of the details here. Like, for example, how Luke says... Five sparrows cost two pennies. But Matthew says that two sparrows cost one penny. And that doesn't add up, does it? This has got the scholars very agitated indeed. I've discovered that nothing agitates a scholar quite like a sparrow-related discrepancy. And uh, what is the proper unit cost of a sparrow, they've been wondering. They can't sleep, these poor scholars, until they know the answer. Is it 0.5 or is it 0.4 of a Judean pence, because it can't be both. And uh, why they're selling sparrows in the first place, nobody knows. How they caught the sparrows, that would be interesting, but they're not talking about that. Uh, the possibility of two rival sparrow stalls being in the market, that hasn't occurred to them. Um, I guess it's a bit like fresh market. It's allegedly coming, but no one's seen it yet. The contradiction has got the scholars going berserk. It can't be both. And then my favourite scholar... Leon Morris thinks he's cracked it, and I think he's right. I think he's right. Morris says there was clearly a bulk buy deal going on in the market. <laughs> and, and, like, that's funny, and I laughed, but I think, I think he's right. It's two for a penny. That is correct. But if you buy four, we will throw in a fifth sparrow for free. 
not a joke. I think God gives us this silly detail just to prove to us how much he really cares. Wonderfully, this word forgotten actually means uncared for or not cared for. He's telling us that there is nothing uncared for in this whole world, not even the fifth free, valueless, pathetic, bonus, scrawny, dead bird in the market. Like the, the, the most pathetic thing we can think of in the detail. And God cares about that. How much more, therefore, reasons Jesus, Jesus must he care for you? If he cares for that, he must care for you. So why do we believe the lie? Why do we believe that some things do not matter to God. I think there's two reasons. The first is false humility, and the second is false pride. False humility works like this. We reason there are people out there with bigger needs than mine. All right, you know, my toe hurts, but my brother has cancer, so I better not pray about my toe. And my brother reasons, well, I have cancer, but everyone's getting bombed in Syria, and so I better not pray about my cancer. I don't want to take up God's time with my little problem. I don't want to be selfish and uh, burden him too much. And it sounds very humble, doesn't it? You know, after you. But I call it false, because what you're really saying with this idea is that you think God is too small to care about it all at once. You do realize that God is not a genie, right? Like, that's, that's not actually in the creed. I know we have a lot of weird brass jugs and pots all around church, but God isn't hiding in any of them. He's in you. God's in you. And you don't get three wishes. That's the Disneyfication of Christianity. They, they don't wear out. Uh, you don't have to be afraid that you've used up too many of your precious prayers. And... Uh, Save one back, you know, you prayed for two things in the morning and you think, well, I don't want to pray for something at 3 p.m. in case something bad happens at midnight. It doesn't work that way. Not at all. In fact, because God knows we're going to think that way, he gives us a scripture to show us that it's untrue. 1 Thessalonians 5. Our first reading, you can turn to it. It's so short, I'll just read it for you. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 17 says, Pray without ceasing. Verse 18, giving thanks, or give thanks, I should say, in all circumstances. Do you see how God is asking us to talk to him all the time about all the things? He's interested in everything all the time. And I call this false humility, this idea that, that I hadn't bothered God too much, uh, because it makes God very small. And by implication, it makes us very big. It's a bit like that thing, you know, where you've got a huge suitcase or heavy groceries or, or your neighbor's busted lawnmower deck or something. And someone says, well, that looks heavy, you know, can I give you a hand with that? And you're like, no, I'm all right, you know, I've got it. And it looks, it looks ever so humble, doesn't it, to say, I'll, I'll do the heavy lifting. But it's, it's really bravado. It's really showing off. This I've got it mentality is, isn't humble at all. I mean, I do this all the time. I'll probably do it again because I'm a sin bag. But we like to kind of feel that we got this, don't we? So in the same way, have you come to believe in your doctrine, in your theology, have you come to believe that your job is to protect God? Is that how you think this works? Because 
You know, if that is the case, I think you're wrong. Have you come to believe, you know, you just need to get on with your life and do the right thing and not make a fuss and work hard and fix things yourselves? And if you do all of that, then God will be pleased. Because if that is how you think, then your doctrine is satanic. You've just made yourself into his savior. Do you see how in 1 Thessalonians 5 it says, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. Why? For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Why in Christ Jesus? What does that little phrase, in Christ Jesus, add? I think it's telling us above all things, it's in Christ Jesus that God's care for you is demonstrated and provided. Jesus stepped into this world and died in this world for the sins of the world to redeem every aspect of this world. I give this theology very, very carefully, but Jesus died for the sparrows. Not in the same way that he died for us, made in the image of God, but he did die to redeem all things and to come again and create a new heaven and a new earth. Every piece of self-salvation is, is like a rejection of Jesus. It is to reject the cross. So that's the first reason why we believe the lie. Satan just appeals to our sense of false humility. Now, a second reason goes with it, false pride. Uh, perhaps another reason why we believe that God doesn't care about that is, is not because we think we can somehow do the right thing, but because deep down we want to do the wrong thing. And if we can convince ourselves that God doesn't care about something, then we can just go ahead and do it. Diagnostic question for you. Have you ever said something like this? Have you ever said, well, I can't imagine a God who would think that? Or, well, that's just the God of the Old Testament. And in this day and age, I don't think God would think like that anymore. Have you thought a bit like that or said one of those things? I do call this false pride. Because if you thought like that, then you've just become his creator. You've just made God in your own image. And you've just shaped the commands of God to your own desires. 2 Timothy 3.13 says this. He says, evil people. This is 2 Timothy 3.13. Evil people and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But the antidote, memory verse, 2 Timothy 3.16 is scripture. All scripture, he says, is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Each word of the Bible is just breathed out onto the page to teach us the truth. So you don't have to imagine what God is like. You don't have to make it up. He's revealed. And you don't have to imagine what God thinks, because that's revealed as well. The old articles of religion, they say, all scripture, or says scripture contains all things necessary to salvation. I think what false pride says is, I know a better way than that book. Right. What is the point of the lie? Why does Satan lie to us like this? What is his aim? I think like all lies, it is simply designed to distance you from God. So please think about your own life for a minute. Think about the people that you know and you love and you live with. And think about what happens when you think that they don't care about you. What do you do if someone 
gives the impression they don't care, right? Well, two things. You stop talking to them, because what's the point? You stop listening to them, because they no longer have that right to speak to you, right? You give them the silent treatment. And I think it's exactly the same with faith. I think Satan wants us to start giving God the silent treatment. He would love that. Stop praying and stop reading. He'd be really pleased with that. And then, once you've done that, you can make it up yourself, and then he can tell you what to believe. Famously, 19th century preacher Charles Haddon Spurgeon, bloke from Croydon, for those watching online, the old country, was once asked what he thought was of more value in connecting to God, Bible reading or prayer. Which is it? He said, well, that's like asking me what's more important, breathing in or breathing out. It's both. Satan wants you to believe that God doesn't care so that you drift away from God until you become your own God. Sherry Lynn once said, you can't have his throne without having his cross. If you want to rule the world, you're going to have to save the world as well. And that means death. Because in the end, just like the beginning, that is what Satan wants for you. The lie is designed to kill you. Let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, you demonstrate over and over again in Scripture that you have meticulous care for all things and especially us. So, Father, if we've come to believe the lie that, that you don't care about that, just forgive us, please, and, and reveal to us anew uh, your sincere and deep care for every facet of our lives. If we come in this morning with a burden or a concern, I pray, Father, that we would very much sense that, that love and care that you have, that you dwell within us. And I pray, God, that you would indeed be answering those prayers. If any of us has carried a long, unanswered prayer, Please, Lord, would this be the breakthrough season, we ask in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.